Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to Barbecue Nation from high atop the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, Oregon. I'm JT along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris, and we'd like to welcome you to the show on the Sun Radio Networks again this week. We thank you very much for letting us into your headspace, as I like to say. Our guest this week, Daniel Vaughn, has got a title that I don't know of anybody else in the country that has one, which is the barbecue editor, editor, I should say it properly, uh, for a um it's called Texas Monthly, but it's really a national magazine. So we're going to talk to Daniel in just a second here. And we'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended. You can check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Daniel Vaughn, welcome to uh, Barbecue Nation. Oh, well, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be talking with you today. No problem. I have looked forward with it uh, to this for actually quite a while. I just couldn't quite work in the time to... Um, you know, make contact with you and all that stuff. So now that we've done it, consider yourself invited to be a regular. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm spending plenty of time at home these days. So. Yes. Yes, we all are. So you're a recovering architect uh, by trade. How did you get to being a, um, you know, an editor for barbecue in a very prestigious magazine? Yeah, well, uh, you know, some strange twists and turns for sure. Uh, yeah, as you said, my education was in architecture. I moved to Dallas 20 years ago to become an architect and, and did that for 12 years. Um, but, you know, coming to Texas, I really like within the first year I was subscribing to Texas Monthly and they have these uh, barbecue issues that they put out. Well, now we put out uh, these top 50 barbecue lists and you know, it just uh, really intrigued me that the idea that, first of all, that there was a state that had 50 barbecue joints good enough to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to rank, um, to, to recommend people to go to. I'm originally from Ohio, and we I don't even know if we had one back then that anybody could recommend. Sure. Um, and, you know, just the idea of that you could use these different restaurants as a, a reason to travel the state. And so, you know, I just started searching, started using that as a guide, going out to eat barbecue on the weekends. Um, eventually started a blog uh, called Full Custom Gospel Barbecue. Uh, started that blog with my friend Sam Watkins, and, and we went out on, on several road trips together. And then from there, it really was just, uh, it, it just turned into an obsession. Um, I wanted to be able to go to every new barbecue joint that opened. Uh, I live in Dallas, so I especially wanted to get to those in, in Dallas and Fort Worth. And eventually D magazine, uh, in Dallas asked me to put together a top barbecue list for them, uh, in the, in the area for uh, sure. Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, before then I'd never really written for 
uh, well, I'd never written professionally for, for anyone. Uh, never got paid to write anything. That's for sure. And it was flattering, but it was, uh, you know, I really took it seriously and, and, and wanted to do like, wanted to go to every place in Dallas and Fort Worth I possibly could. And at that time, I think there was, uh, I think it was around 180 different barbecue joints that I visited. You know, some of them I'd been to before the assignment, but I really, really wanted to tick them all off my list. And, you know, that turned into a cover story. And, um, you know, from there, I, that gave me a little bit of clout. And as far as the journalism thing went and, um, you know, I started working with Texas Monthly some, uh, just doing just doing a few, uh, you know, short write-ups, uh, mostly yeah. online stuff. Yeah. Had you, yeah, eaten, the, I, let me jump in here for a second, Daniel. Had yeah. you eaten much barbecue prior to coming to Texas? No, no, not at all. Um, it, you know, I, uh, I remember, um, very vividly, uh, going to between Ohio and new Orleans, going to college, uh, making that drive and uh, stopped in Tuscaloosa Alabama and, and went to dreamland barbecue with my parents. And that was, that was an eye opening experience right there. Just, um, going into a restaurant that, uh, at that time, the, the original dreamland had only ribs and bread on the menu and you didn't order the bread. It just came with the ribs. Right. If you wanted anything else, there were chips hanging on the wall. <laughs> and so we got, uh, I think we got a whole rack of ribs and they were massive spare ribs and, so we got this whole rack of ribs and it came with a half a loaf of bread. And I think we ordered a second plate too. It came, came uh, on a platter and then everybody got paper plates. Um, and that was like my first experience with, you know, a true barbecue joint. And up until then, you know, it was like riblets at Applebee's was considered <laughs> barbecue back in Ohio. So, sure. Uh, yeah. When I got to Texas, everything changed and, you know, having to smoke brisket for the first time and, and really gaining an understanding of what Texas style barbecue is and really the many versions of Texas style barbecue that there are around the state. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little later in the show, but you know, they've people have broken down the country into areas of barbecue, but I noticed you have actually taken the time to break out the regions in Texas uh, for different barbecue styles. So like I said, we're going to get to that in a minute. What did you think? And and I actually have never asked anybody this question, but you're the man to ask it to. What did you think when they had a slice of white bread with barbecue? I'm sure from Ohio, you had never seen that. No, I hadn't. Um, I mean, it, it didn't really take long to understand what it was really there for. And that was just to soak up some of the barbecue sauce. Sure. Uh, with, with the ribs and eat it. And uh, I mean, I thought it was great. Like the idea that... Um, you know, you, you didn't uh, didn't really waste anything on the plate because you had this white bread to sop it all up, and and the fact too that they were serving it. You know, if you ordered like two racks of ribs, you get a whole loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah. um, and then you know, our rack of ribs got us a half loaf of bread. That was uh, you know that was pretty funny since they just cut the loaves right in half, right in the plastic, and just handed it to you. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's it didn't you know from then on it just seemed like that's the appropriate thing to eat at a barbecue joint. Oh yeah. Well, I spent a lot of my adult life in another industry and I traveled to Texas frequently. And I remember I was in my oh, early twenties, you know, maybe 24, 25, something like that. And went to Texas and they took me out for barbecue and there was this white bread. 
And I thought it was really odd until I saw what they were doing with it. And then it made perfect sense to me. And, and that, but you know, I'm, I'm the Northwest kid, you know, I was a Yankee all through and through, and we had never, never seen any of that. And our version of barbecue up there then up here then was stuff kind of semi burnt and lots of sauce on it. And that was our version of barbecue. And I think it was that way a lot across the country years ago. And of course we've expanded um, greatly since then, but yeah, I remember seeing that slab of white bread on, on the plate and, and, you know, wax paper underneath type thing and that and going, what is that? You know, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if, if you go to some of the more old school places like Kreitz Market or Smitty's, you can even get saltine crackers along with it. Like just a whole sleeve of saltine crackers. So yeah. If you, want, if you want to talk about like real old school Texas barbecue there. Oh, yeah. But yeah. That's the thing. Like I hear complaints about the white bread and it's like, hey, you know what? It's free. Like if it yeah. wasn't white bread, it'd be nothing. Like yeah. so. Uh, yeah, they're not charging you two bucks much. a slice, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sorry, it's not a brioche bun, but you know, um, yeah, you, you don't have to pay a whole lot for it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good. I just um, I, I'm little true confessions here, and people I think probably have heard me say this on the show before. I've got a brother-in-law that lives in Houston, and they come up mm-hmm. every year spend a week or two with us. They work for the airlines so they can travel, you know, pretty inexpensively and all that. His favorite thing is McRibs. And I just give him the hardest time about that because here he is, lives in Texas, uh, down out of Houston, lots of great barbecue around there and over in Katy and, you know, going north and all that stuff. And he likes the McDonald's McRibs. That's his idea of good barbecue. It just makes me gag. But anyway, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was kind of funny when McDonald's announced that they were going to do the, you know, launch the McRib uh, across the country. Uh, I think that was like a couple of months ago. Uh, it, it almost seemed like performative, but all these pitmasters started ordering it and taking photos of it across Texas. And like, yeah, I like a McRib, and I just I didn't get it. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've eaten McRibs, and certainly, you know, as a as a barbecue journalist, you got to eat it all. And who knows, maybe there's a story there. But in the end, it just tastes like barbecue sauce and like textured barbecue sauce. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I'm with <clears throat> you. I'm. I'm not a fan of the McRib. Yeah. I, I, if I'm going to McDonald's, like I'd, I'd rather just get like a Big Mac. Like, yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. No, I just think that it's, <clears throat> it's, um, if I want pressed meat, I'll eat spam or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, I wrote an article a while back, which was really about the, that idea that, uh, the McRib sort of embodies, which is that for, um, and I think you were talking about earlier, just this, like if it had barbecue sauce on it, it's kind of burnt, it was barbecue. And, and the idea that if, uh, you can barbecue something by adding barbecue sauce to it, all of a sudden it's barbecued, mm-hmm. you know, a barbecued chicken sandwich, just being roasted chicken with, uh, uh, or boiled chicken, who knows with the, with barbecue barbecue sauce mixed in and all of a sudden it's barbecued. That's, that's what the McRib is to me. You know, it's just, it, there's nothing barbecue about it until it's dunked into barbecue sauce. No, that's not barbecue enough for me. It, it always reminds me of like, um, you know, when they paint, uh, when they're getting fenders painted for cars on the mass production lines, they dip it, you know, there's robotic yeah. arms and they dip it. And that's what I envision the McRib being is they just take this, kind of pressed meat, whatever it is. I'm sure it's pork in there, but there may be other things. We're never sure. And they, they dip it in there and then they 
push it on down the line. <laughs> That's the vision I have of it. <laughs> so, yes, yes, I'm with you. It's um. It's if that's your idea of barbecue, folks, you may be listening to the wrong show. I'm just going to put it that way right now. But you're more than welcome to stay and uh, <clears throat> learn something here from our guest, Daniel Vaughn from Texas Monthly. Daniel and I are going to be back in just a couple minutes here on Barbecue Nation on the Sun Radio Network. Please stay with us. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Network. I'm JT. Today we're talking with Daniel Vaughn for Texas Monthly. Daniel has the great uh, title and probably an honor i've been thinking to be the barbecue editor at texas monthly and if you've never seen the magazine look it up um and i would you know subscribe to it it's really a great uh, great magazine if you'd like to email us it's very simple you can just go to barbecue nation bbq nations jt.com and there's a little icon there you can send me an email on or you can do it to my other handle which is what i use on tv it's uh, thecowboycook.com and just info at thecowboycook.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter and a bazillion platforms out there and social media and uh, podcasting. So there you go. Like I said, we're talking with Daniel Vaughn today, the barbecue editor from Texas Monthly. Did you think when you started, Daniel, that uh, this would turn into what it has for you? Meaning that you kind of started a blog and you and your buddy were kind of doing some road trips and blah, 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 you know, and that's all great, but it's turned into a full-time job for you. Yeah, certainly not. I, I never envisioned that it was going to turn into a full-time job when I started blogging about it. I, I really just did it uh, originally to keep track of the places that I'd been. And so I could make sure to return to the ones I liked and not return to the ones I didn't. Yeah. Um, so that was the uh, initial idea. Um, you know, once it started taking up too many of my nights and weekends, my, my wife certainly had some questions about whether I was ever going to actually try and make money off this. Uh, and if it was ever going to be, end up being worth all the hours that I spent, um, just, just doing it for free. Sure. Um, so when I was offered the job, uh, I, I called her and, you know, I was incredibly happy, really just ecstatic about the idea that Texas Monthly was working on a contract to, to make me the barbecue editor. And she's just like, well, how much, how much does it pay? It's like, well, not nearly what I make now, but who cares? I'm going to be the barbecue. Editor. <laughs> she's <like>, well, <laughs> well, maybe we need to sit down and talk about this. <laughs> Wives do that. <laughs> yeah. Wives do that. But it, it, it worked out. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, I'm you know, seven, I'm in my eighth year now doing it. And, you know, when I, even when I signed on with Texas monthly, like, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what the world of Texas barbecue would look like in 2021. And would there still be an interest in that subject? Would, uh, would restaurants still be opening? Would it still be as popular as it was back then? And, sure. you know, for, for eight <clears throat> years, I've been asked, like, is this the peak? Have we hit the peak? Are we, are we headed down the, uh, down the other side of barbecue of Texas barbecue's popularity. Uh, 
you know, every year it's just not yet. <laughs> not I yet. Don't, I don't, Daniel, I don't think we will really. I mean, I don't think it's going to become the national food, so to speak, but uh, I don't think we will, because if you look at the number of people that um, the estimates of people that barbecue at home, um, when the situation is relatively normal, meaning no COVID, no all the junk that went with that, barbecue businesses seem to do well overall if they're if they've got a good product. And uh, yes. and uh, you know, if they're a smart operator, they keep the costs in line and they can do really well. Um, so I don't see it going away. I don't see it uh, you know, maybe that might happen someday with the the barbecue competitions or something. I hope it doesn't, but it might. I can see it maybe going that way, but not in the day-to-day life of people. I think barbecue is here to stay for a long time. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Well, I mean, I, I certainly don't see, um, I don't see uh, any time in the near future where the, the, the flame is going to die out. Excuse the pun. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things that's great about being the barbecue editor at Texas monthly specifically is that, um, as barbecue expands across the country and, and hits all these cities that don't themselves have their own barbecue tradition, it, it seems by and large that they're adopting a Texas style of barbecue cooking, which is always nice to see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, we've got it up here now. Of course, I know you've been up here. Um, yes. And uh, but we've got quite a few barbecue restaurants around and they're the ones that are managed well are doing quite well. And some of them have even um, survived COVID quite well in the Portland and Seattle areas. I know that um, because I know the owners and, you know, they had to make a lot of adjustments, but they stuck it out and and uh, I think they're going to be just fine. Let's talk a minute uh, before we go to break. We've got about three and a half minutes here, Daniel. What are your parameters when you go to a barbecue restaurant? And I'm pretty sure it was easier when you were first getting started. And maybe people didn't know who you were. And now when you walk in, I'm sure people that pay attention know who you are. But what are your parameters when you're writing something about a particular barbecue pit? Um, you know, what do you what do you look yeah. for? Well, uh, I mean, first off, these days with a with a mask and sunglasses, it's a little <laughs> bit easier to, to maybe go incognito. So there's uh, there's some benefits there. But um, no, I'd say really that the, the the biggest change hasn't been whether people recognize me or not. It's simply been how much more I, I've got to focus on uh, as far as the menu goes. You know, it's just mm-hmm. that uh, the menus are so huge these days that it's it's not like just going in and getting your brisket, ribs, and sausage and calling it a day, right? Right. Now, um, you know, we got a place that just opened up down the street from me called Oaked, and they have a pastry chef. They've got like literally have a dozen different desserts, um, like creme brulee, which they fire off like to order. So. Um, you know, it's it's it is harder and harder these days to be able to go in for um, go in for a meal and get for one meal and, and get a good idea about what this place is doing. But I mean, really, um, it, it all boils down to generally brisket, right? Um, how good is the brisket? Um, but also, 
try to get some idea of what that what that place, what the owners, what the pitmaster values, what the community values about that place too. Mm-hmm. And you know, sometimes that's not the sliced brisket. You know, sometimes this place is is known specifically for their smoked chicken, or maybe they're just known for those ribs, or they make a right. specialty sausage that everybody comes in for. So I uh, try to get an understanding of that as well. You know, also understanding that from a health code standpoint. Like there is, there is no other type of food that you could cook that you go back in a kitchen that look like a pit room and be okay with it. Right. Right. But it's, but if it's barbecue, it's like, okay, this pit room looks just right. There's some, <laughs> there's some grease dripping over there in the corner. Yeah. And, um, we got smoke everywhere and I'm like, yeah, this, this smells right. Yep. They got smudges on their aprons or their shirts or whatever. Yeah. You know? It's all looking good. <laughs> then, you know, you're in the right spot. Hey, we're going to return here on barbecue nation with Daniel Vaughn from Texas monthly right after these messages, please stay with us. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Sun Radio Network. We'd like to thank you for listening today. I'm JT, and we've got Daniel Vaughn from Texas Monthly Magazine. Daniel is the editor of the barbecue. Uh, is the official title barbecue editor? Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a great day when I got my first box of business cards. Opened <laughs> it up and said barbecue editor right on there. That was. Uh, that was an amazing sight. There you go. Oh, I forgot here. Uh, we don't thank our friends at Painted Hills Natural Beef for supporting our show. Um, beef the way nature intended and also the way grandpa used to make it. If you had a grandpa that raised beef and our friends at Gunter Wilhelm knives, uh, I've got some and they work great. So try them, look them up online at gunterwilhelm.com. Um, you know, when you're when you're traveling around looking at the different restaurants and stuff, you meet a lot of characters. I mean, I have in my life and I'm not a professional writer like you are to do what you do. Tell us about some of the unique characters you've met in your travels around Texas. I know you could probably spend all day talking about them, but maybe narrow it down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, one of the most uh, one of the most famous yet incredibly interesting pit masters is Tootsie Tominets at Snow's Barbecue. So Snow's Barbecue is uh, only open on Saturday mornings. They open at 8 a.m. and they're, they're usually sold out by noon. Uh, it's incredibly popular. And their pit master is Tootsie Tominets and she's 85 years old now. And so she still works for the school district uh, during the week and she comes and cooks at Snow's Barbecue to serve it up on Saturdays. And um, if you've seen the uh, Chef's Table on Netflix, uh, they have a, a barbecue series, a short barbecue series with some great pit masters, and Tootsie's one of them. And I mean, her story is an amazing one. And, you know, so few female pit masters in Texas. And to have one that's 85 years old and uh, still going strong is, is always amazing to see. I, I've never met her, Daniel, but I've read about her and I saw a little bit of that next Netflix thing. Um, Seems like a great lady, but I wouldn't mess with her. She'd hurt you. Oh no, <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, she's uh, yeah, she's she's got more strength than you'd expect from any eighty-five-year-old woman. Oh sure, absolutely. What, what do you? Uh, 
Go ahead. I'm and, sorry. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, well, in, in down in Houston, um, a guy I just connected with immediately was Ray Bush at, at Ray's Barbecue Shack down there. And uh, he, he had been in law enforcement before and he retired and decided to open up a barbecue joint. And uh, the, the barbecue is incredible. Um, and he does this, uh, this boudin. Uh, they do homemade boudin, but he also does this one called a muddy water boudin. And it's made with crawfish and shrimp and Ooh, some man. of the most unique stuff. But just sitting at the at the bar at Ray's, um, eating some eating some of his sausage and ribs and, and fried catfish. Oh, and having a chat with him is, uh, I mean, that's uh, that's good eating and good conversation right there. Man, I know it's not barbecue, but I love fried catfish. I just love it. Yeah. Well, I did a whole series on uh, surf and turf catfish or surf and turf barbecue, yeah. and uh, I guess it's it's not really surf if it's catfish, right? It's not exactly from the ocean, but uh, uh, close enough. And there are a lot of a lot of places around Texas that do a lot of barbecue joints that do great catfish, and uh, you know, being able to pair a good piece of fried catfish up with some good ribs or sausage or brisket, it's uh, always a bonus. I know way back when, I think it was like the second time I went to Texas, which was, you know, 45 years ago or something. <clears throat> Guy said, come on, we're going to go have lunch. We'll have some mud bugs. And I went, what? And he says, we'll have some mud bugs. Well, once I saw them, I knew what they were because I grew up on a creek at our family ranch and we always caught crawdads, you know. And did you, did you catch them and cook them and eat them? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Made the, my dad hated it because by the time he'd get home from work, the kids were up from the Crick. We had a big pot going it all smelled like pickling spice and stuff. We had newspapers on the, on the kitchen table with these crawdads dumped out there and we were eating them and it damn near made him gag. But anyway, we loved them. And, um, and so they, they took me to this little place. I think it was called like Elaine's and it's not Elaine's in New York city folks. It's Elaine's right. like in a abandoned gas station that they fixed up for a restaurant. And you went in there and, and uh, Stevie opened, ordered me a order of mud bugs. And then we had whatever was the lunch special. And it was great. <laughs> it was just great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be, I guess that'd be quite a surprise if you, uh, if you didn't know that, uh, that term for them. Yeah, absolutely. When you, um, when you meet these characters and stuff and you've, well, Tootsie's famous. I mean, she's in the hall of fame, I think now and all that, but, yes. um, when you meet some of these other folks along the way, how do their stories influence you as a writer? Well, um, it's not really the individual stories so much as the fact that as I've written, my style of writing has changed pretty dramatically. Uh -huh. When I started off, um, certainly when I was blogging, it was all about the food. And uh, when I started the Texas Monthly, there was a much bigger focus on specifically the food, you know, uh -huh. sort of standard restaurant review. You go in for the atmosphere and the how was the service and how was the, uh, you know, how was the entree and the dessert and this and that. Right. 
and I still cover that, but just not in as much detail. Um, and I don't really like to write about a place anymore unless I get part of the story of the people who run it or own it or started it, uh, or the pit master who runs the pits. Um, their stories are really what I think interest readers more. And they're really what interest me more as well is, um, you know, where do these people come from? Uh, why did they start cooking barbecue? And everybody's story is different. You know, there's, you get the idea that uh, in Texas, these old school places that it's always like, well, my dad taught me. and That's going to be your story over and over and over. And sure. these days it's rare. Rarely is that the story. Um, rarely is it that it's just a simple like passed down from father to son. So hearing how everyone got involved in barbecue and uh, and why they were crazy enough to go open up a restaurant and try <laughs> try and serve it to people too. So th- that is, uh, that's been the focus of the stories that I've been writing over the last couple of years now that uh, is, is just what's changed in, in my own style of writing. I noticed that... Um... <clears throat> I was looking at one of the stories you wrote last night about a young man who had, uh, was it, I'm going to get the name wrong because I actually didn't write it down. I was just reading some of your stuff again. And I, was it Boudin's? And then he had worked, oh, yeah. worked there and then he had had some personal problems and then he came back and he's working for, uh, um, isn't he working for Aaron? Or he's working for somebody down there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about it at Bodacious Barbecue. Bodacious. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So Bodacious Barbecue up in Longview. Um, you know, that was uh, one of my favorite spots. Um, and so, it, you know, it was one of my favorite spots. I spent a lot of time eating there and, and when uh, Jordan Jackson was the pit master there and I spent a lot of time getting to know him and, uh, then he just sort of disappeared and didn't really know what happened to him. Uh, the guy who had worked for him had, uh, who had worked under him, took over things at the pits. And then Jordan showed up a few months later uh, in, in not in Longview, but uh, a whole long way away in Austin, Texas, at the pit room at Franklin Barbecue. And yeah. so I, I talked to him, uh, you know, on a, on a personal level uh, about the struggles he went through. And it took a few months, uh, really, before he was comfortable having me tell that story to the public. And it's understandable; it's a, a kind of a yes. rough situation that he's in the middle of. But, uh, but you know, now he's he's clean and sober, and uh, got through his uh, rehab. And uh, Aaron Franklin gave him a chance to work in the pit room there, and uh, he's he's flourishing now and really turned his life around. Yeah, I love those kind of stories too. I really do, and I. Regardless of the aspect of barbecue, I just think they're really great human interest stories like that. Um, let's share something with the audience here, Daniel. When I first called you a couple of weeks ago, you were driving down the road with a turkey leg in your passenger seat. And, <laughs> and I and I told you a story, which I won't repeat here because people have heard it before, about my experience with um, SeaWorld in San Antonio and a turkey leg that floated away in a flash flood. Um First of all, tell us how good was that turkey leg when you ate it? <laughs> it was a good turkey leg. Yeah, uh, we've got this sort of trend going on in, in Texas now, these stuffed turkey legs, which uh, aren't so much stuffed as they are just smothered. Um, 
And so these massive turkey legs and people are putting all kinds of stuff on them, whether it's mac and cheese or, uh, I mean, there's places doing like shrimp Alfredo. Um, there's, uh, there's a guy, uh, Turkey Leg Hut is certainly the most famous of them down in Houston, but there's a guy over in Fort Worth now at Smokeaholics Barbecue. And on Tuesdays, he's uh, doing stuffed turkey legs only on Tuesdays. But when he does, he's got, uh, he stuffs them with dirty rice. He's got one of them stuffed with, uh, uh, stuffed with a shrimp Alfredo sauce and uh, just all kinds of different combinations of things. And it's just amazing to see this trend that really started like, only about four or five years ago is now something that's really popping up in a lot of these different barbecue joints and, and really outside of barbecue as well. So the uh, smoked turkey leg is certainly a hot item these days. I know for a plate of ribs, I'm a four napkin guy. How many napkins do you go through eating a turkey leg? Well, see, that's the thing is not many because these turkey legs these people um they're not like the what you'd get at the festivals right uh which you you know they've got to be there's almost a way to cook them at festivals so that they're a little less than super tender right so that you can actually walk around with the thing but at these places they're cooking them till they're incredibly tender some of them like turkey leg paradise here in dallas it's a um, if it if it doesn't fall off the bone, it's free. We're going to take a break. Daniel and I will be back in a few minutes here on Barbecue Nation. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT. We're talking with Daniel Vaughn uh, today from Texas Monthly. And great magazine. Daniel writes great articles about barbecue and characters and barbecue and, and all that. And like I said, he's a recovering architect. I only say that, Daniel, because when I talk to lawyers, I always call them recovering lawyers, too, or attorneys. Yes. Well, there's there's plenty of those uh, who own barbecue joints these days, too. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. They don't always feel like they're pleading their case or something. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> You wrote you wrote uh, something too, I, and I normally stay out of politics on this show. It's been my uh, kind of uh, steadfast rule. But <clears throat> you're uh, you've got a senator down there, John Cornyn, and yeah. and his brisket. I didn't even read it all because I was just wanted you to tell the story about it because you basically said leave the guy alone, let him enjoy his brisket in peace. Was I'm paraphrasing one line you wrote. Tell us about that. Well, the um, all right. So, yes, Senator John Cornyn, uh, he posted on Christmas Eve a photo that uh, um, was immediately shared all over Twitter. And it was a photo of his, uh, his, his family's traditional brisket. And he didn't really say much more about it. Just posted a, a photo of... Uh, let's just say a less than appetizing looking brisket. The the lighting was bad. Uh, it looked like it was covered in ketchup. Um, it had been sliced and then, uh, and then put in the oven and it, it just didn't look great. Right. Right. And 
especially for the barbecue crowd who's used to just staring at like luscious photos of brisket uh you know day in day out it was um a bit of a visual shock should i say <laughs> and so um you know i thought i'd have a little fun with it and um you know, as I said in the article, like if it's truly a family tradition, like most main courses that remain a family tradition aren't terrible, right? Sure. Like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, Aunt Sally might bring a, her, her terrible salad or whatever um, every holiday and, and you're not going to say much about it. But the main course, like it's got to be good. And so I, I got in touch with uh, one of his spokespeople and um, tried to get the recipe and um didn't uh, wasn't successful in getting the recipe, but I was really wanting to create the, the version that he did um, at my own house and uh, get some idea of what that you know everybody saw what it looked like. I wanted to get an idea of what it really tasted like. Sure. And so I, I went around snooping around his Instagram, found some older photos of um, of the brisket process that uh, for this particular brisket that they seem to cook at least once a year and just tried to find a recipe that matched up with it as closely as possible. But, um, I, you know, whether it's, uh, covered in barbecue sauce or not, it seemed like the, the worst offense for this particular recipe was, uh, his, um, directions to trim all visible fat. Um, and so it basically, you're trying to cook a, a brisket flat with no fat in it. And, that's just uh, that's just not a way to good way to get a no. brisket. So no, I, I did it at home. I did my best. I wasn't trying to uh, do a bad version of it. I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't trying to mail it in just so I could get a funny story to write. But I tried at home uh, as close to the method uh, that he posted, and it's not going to become a family tradition. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I I understand. I saw some pictures of it. And didn't he do this in an oven? Yes. Yeah. It's a fully oven baked. So um, the process is uh, you cook it for three hours um, and then you cook it covered for three hours. You refrigerate it overnight. Um, then you remove all the fat uh, off of the brisket. You um, strain out all the liquid um, to, to save only the liquid and strain out any fat. And so you discard all the fat, slice the brisket covered in barbecue sauce and put it back in the oven for an hour and a half. And, um, yeah, uh, putting already sliced brisket back in the oven, uh, with no fat to help it is not a, not a recipe for juicy brisket. No, it's, it's not. We, we've got, uh, just a few minutes left here before we're, and, uh, Daniel's going to stick around for after hours. So that'll, that's going to be fun. What do you think is the biggest influence on Texas barbecue. Now you've covered more and eaten at more Texas barbecue joints than anybody in the world on the face of the earth, I think. And so, you know, we talked about regions and I, and I pushed it out a little bit. So we're going to talk about the Texas regions and after hours, but there's gotta be a somewhere kind of a centrist uh, influence on Texas barbecue. Is it the historical perspective of, you know, maybe the the Mexican influence, the Spanish influence. What is it? 
Well, and and that's why it is so important to talk about the the different regions of Texas barbecue, because as you said, when people talk about different barbecue regions, they like to uh, they like to distill everything down into like a short soundbite about each one. And sure, so you get somebody talking about North Carolina or South Carolina or Memphis, Kansas City, and then they're like, okay, and this is Texas barbecue. Well, there's no one answer for what Texas barbecue is, right? Texas is a huge state with a lot of different styles and. And so there's uh, also not one answer as far as where uh, the tradition of Texas barbecue came from. And, uh, so, I mean, if you look into East Texas, I mean, the enslaved population in East Texas uh, was huge um, around the time of the Civil War. So, um, you know, and a lot of those enslaved were cooking barbecue uh, for their plantations. And sure. So, their skills, uh, their skills translated uh, to after slavery to um, really when restaurants began, uh, barbecue restaurants began in Texas in the 1880s and 1890s. Um, so you see that influence pretty heavily in East Texas, uh, Southeast Texas as well, down in the Houston, Beaumont area. Uh, if you're in Central Texas, um, you know, it really is the place where meat market style barbecue uh, emerged as the um, as the most popular way of cooking. And that style was really about selling raw meat and then using any of those leftovers uh, to make barbecue. And um you know, you, you put something that's been sitting on an unrefrigerated shelf uh, for a few days, put that cut of meat, uh, put plenty of salt and pepper on it and put it into a smoker and you might be able to mask that off flavor. And, you know, <laughs> if you're, if you're going to grind it up and add a bunch of spices and put it into a casing and smoke it, you might be able to hide even more. So right. uh, those smoked sausage traditions are really important in central Texas. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of other places in the country where sausage takes on such an important role in the, in the barbecue style of central Texas barbecue. But then you get into South Texas and you're talking uh, cabrito and barbacoa, uh, fajitas, uh, smoked fajitas, uh, fajitas cooked or coals. So all those things that that's very much Mexican influenced and yep. influenced from uh, you know, influence from Mexico, sure, but also influence from parts of Texas that uh, the parts of Texas that used to be Mexico. So, right. um, uh, you know, the, the influences uh, change across the state, which is the reason that those styles change all over the state as well. Daniel Vaughn, thank you for being with us today. Daniel is going to stick around for the after hours uh, in some of our markets. <clears throat> excuse me. You got hour two coming up. Uh, and if not, uh, we'll join you again next week. For Barbecue Nation right here on the Sun Radio Network. Take care, everybody. Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.